Hi, my name is Wizzy Brown. And I'm Molly Keck. And we are with the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service Department of Entomology. And this is Bugs by the Yard, where we hope to increase your enthusiasm about bugs in the urban landscape. Welcome back to Bugs by the Yard. If you have been paying, paying attention or, or listening, I guess, to our previous podcasts, we have been kind of going on this series of, of ways insects are beneficial in the unconventional ways, non-conventional ways, the ways that insects are good without necessarily eating your bad bugs or pollinating your plants or even maybe recycling. And so today we're talking about a subject that I don't find very gross, but I know a lot of people really get the heebie-jeebies when we mention things like this. And it is a term that is a fancy term. It's called entomophagy, which literally means to consume insects. And so entomophagy is eating insects. And it is something that we do every single day, whether we realize it or not. But in other parts of the world, people eat insects as part of their regular diet. It's like the chicken nuggets that their kids eat. It's their protein source. I find it fascinating because in the United States, entomophagy is this cultural nastiness. We don't want to think about it. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to eat insects. But the United States is the only country in the world that doesn't utilize insects as a form of protein in one way or another. So we're really behind the times. If you think about it, we're not, we're snobby, we're snobby. And I don't, you know, you might argue, well, we're ahead of the times. We don't eat bugs, but as uh, populations increase and land decreases and livestock becomes something that's much more expensive and costly to produce, we're going to have to look at alternative means of protein and insects are, in my opinion, the natural alternative to those. I, I completely agree. And we also, we need to talk about active. So Molly's mm -hmm. been talking about people actively eating them. So we have active entomophagy, which is you going out and harvesting insects to eat, but we also have passive entomophagy, which is what we generally do here in the United States, much to probably everyone who's listening to this podcast <laughs> dismay after they're done. That's right. <laughs> and I, you know, I think, so Wizzy and I came out of the same lab in grad school. And, and so we probably both TA'd the same class yes. and we had a professor <laughs> who was a really good teacher. He had really cool lesson plans and things. And one of his big lessons was the entomophagy lesson. And he would, and I do this in my camps now, but he would show up with lots and lots of food and he would have two tables. And on one table, he had peanut butter crackers and cookies and, and chocolate and, you know, nachos and salsa also. Yeah. Just regular food that people like. And on the other table, he had, um, he would make termite bark, which was termites melted into chocolate. And so it was termite bark. He would have fire ant queso. He would make a pizza and put mealworms on it. And so you could actually see the insects in it. And he would ask, you know, come up and get some food. And then he would ask who avoided that table and why? And people would say, well, cause there's bugs on it. And he would point to the other table with all the regular food and say, well, you ate bugs too. You just didn't know it. And he termed that or coined that passive entomophagy. And I don't know that I've ever heard anyone else say it, except for those that are of that lab. So I don't know if it's a thing he made up or if it's a real thing, it, it might be us. Who knows? It may just be us. We're special that way. But yeah, so passive entomophagy is when you eat regular food every single day, there are insect parts in it that the FDA knows is there and allows it to be there and you consume it and don't realize it. And I've got actually some fun 
the facts of things. Um, let me see here. So there are insect parts and in everything we eat. Not only that there's like rodent hairs and they allow in certain things, bits of rodent teeth. So yummy. See, I find that way more disturbing than insects. I absolutely <laughs> agree. And what could, what would be even nastier is if they were like, oh sure. There's like human hair in all your food and human fingertips and ugh, so I'd Ew, much rather ah. <laughs> <laughs> much rather eat an insect. So the, the two, uh, well, one of the foods that everybody likes, like, I mean, if you don't like chocolate, I don't know what to do with you, but chocolate has up to 60 insect parts per 3.5 ounces. And I never remember how much is three and a half ounces. Is that like a candy bar? I don't know. But that candy bar that you're eating, lots of insect pieces, in you're it. eating at least 60 insect parts there. And then <laughs> peanut butter, people like peanut butter, right? Oh, I had some of that for breakfast this morning. Well, you had up to 30 insect parts per three and a half ounces. Also, they were delicious. <laughs> and then, okay. This one kind of blows my mind. Like, I don't know. I guess I figure if you bring your produce home, you wash it off, you would see the insects in it, but that's not necessarily the case. This is not fresh produce, but in on frozen broccoli, you can get up to 60 aphids, thrips, and mites per three and a half ounces. And I pulled this off of like FDA's website or something like that. And I'm assuming when they say three and a half ounces, maybe that's like a serving size and that's why they're using that. But maybe someone who knows ounces knows better. Yeah, maybe. So I'm wondering, like you said, cause when you pull your stuff out of the garden, you're like washing it off in fresh produce and you're not seeing bugs crawl around on your produce when you bring it home from the grocery store. But I, I wonder because you always hear about like the frozen or canned oh. stuff being the lesser quality stuff that might have insect damage mm -hmm. on it or something. So maybe that's why that has it in there. I, I don't know. Maybe so. Well, peaches, Ooh, yum. a whole, a real peach up to 3% wormy, according <laughs> to these FDA levels and spinach. Oh, here we go. Peas up to five larvae per, well, that's a can per 18 ounce can. Larvae of what? <laughs> and then spinach. Uh, this is canned. Popeye. Popeye's eating this. He is. He's eating up to 10 aphids, thrips, or mites, or 1.6 leaf miners, or 0.4 caterpillar parts per 18 ounce can. That's how Popeye's getting all that protein. And then tomatoes, you can get it's fly eggs, Drosophila fly wow. eggs, which are fruit flies. So you, you know, you chop that tomato up and put it on your sandwich, and you're probably eating some fly eggs there. And you know what? None of us ever died from that. Did we, we're still eating that food and we're totally fine. So it, while it sounds gross, it's just part of eating food really. You know, and I always, I always have this question in my brain. And if somebody is either vegetarian or vegan, please contact me because I am dying to know how does this fit in with the whole vegetarian vegan thing? Because insects are animals, but it's not like you can keep them out of everything that you're eating, even if it's like produce or a grain product or something like that. So how does that work? I mean, is it that they just, they, they don't know, or they don't think about it or, uh, they're not furry, so they don't count. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not trying to be rude or offensive or anything like that. I just, I am curious because I want to know, I want to know how, how it works. What does it, what does it do? How do you think about that? 
I imagine they didn't know until now, but also I have heard from individuals who are like major proponents of entomophagy that it is, it is a, uh, animal form that vegans and vegetarian may probably not vegans, but vegetarians especially will be okay with consuming Okay, to get some extra protein. So I bet, but I bet you the majority of people, I bet everyone listening is like, oh, I had no idea there were that many insect parts and in all the things that I eat. Well, I mean, if you have somebody who's vegetarian or vegan or whatever, and needs a source of protein, insects would be an amazing source. Yeah. I mean that if you can do that, I mean, I recommend if you're eating whole insects, pull off the legs cause they can get caught in your throat, but <laughs> get caught in your teeth. And then you got to floss your teeth, <laughs> but I mean, you, you make a good point, right? You can't. And the reason why you have so many insects and everything is you can't filter them all out. There's absolutely no way. And a lot of like chocolate and peanut butter, things that are processed and ground up, those are going to have more insects in them. I feel like it's just kind of obvious, but you know, if you just from the get-go from the field, there are insects that feed on our crops and our food, that food is then harvested. And the way it gets harvested, you're picking stuff up, right? You can't you cannot take those machines through that field and filter the insects out, but keep the grain or whatever it is that you're harvesting. And then a lot of times that food doesn't go directly to the manufacturer or somewhere else. It gets stored somewhere in a silo and there are insects that will get into that. And, and Wizzy and I had a colleague, um, I guess in Corpus, they have lots and lots of silos, uh, but he was one of the only um, entomologists in Texas that really did a lot of work with true stored grains. And and they actually fumigate a lot of those grains to keep the insects out of it. So there might be insects that get in there. And then you take that food and you mash it all up and you turn it into bread or peanut butter or chocolate, and you're mashing up all those insect parts. So it would be incredibly labor intensive and virtually impossible to eliminate insects from your food. It's not that they crawled into the can before the can got closed up or Um, and maybe they did with that fresh produce, they found it in the grocery store and laid an egg on it, but you know, it's in your processed and your canned foods. It's generally somewhere along that, that line that they, they found that food. And then you said that they're, that they could be definitely healthy. I have some statistics on that. So, uh, they're, well, I don't want to say they're necessarily healthier, but they are more environmentally friendly as a form of protein. So if you think about one of the big things that people are farming and actually in Texas, Austin had the first cricket farm or the first insect farm in the nation. And they are working on actually turning that into being totally automated. So it's like all robot run and no humans, which is neat. And also like very little waste, like no trash at all. That's cool. I feel bad for the workers that get replaced by the robots, but whatever. So they're, they're raising crickets and they're fed something special. They're not, you know, when you talk about purposefully eating food, it's like you go to the store and you eat, you buy chicken, right? You would not go outside and shoot a grackle and then eat that as your, as your, you know, alternative of chicken. Only if we're moving into the zombie apocalypse. I can imagine that would be very dark meat, very gross, greasy, chewy. Yeah. But we're not going out and collecting crickets that are outside. They're being farmed like other livestock. It is known what they're feeding. It's it's regulated, right? I mean, it's, these are, it's, it's a food processing facility. So it's just like they're doing any other food product. So that is going to be inspected and maintained under certain conditions to make sure that they are not transferring nastiness. 
Exactly. It's it, yes, it's under control. So think about, you think about a cricket and if you were to farm crickets by the thousands, the space that you need is so much smaller. You can do it in your garage, but you cannot possibly raise a cow or a pig and you probably do a chicken, but that'd be pretty gross in your garage, right? They need a whole lot more space. So I think it's, um, you need 200 square meters of land to produce one kilogram of beef. You need 50 square meters of land to produce uh, a kilogram of pork, 45 for chicken, but you only need 15 for crickets for, to produce the same amount of, of meat, of protein. So that's, I mean, that's amazing. So less, they definitely need less space. The other thing that kind of sounds so counterintuitive, but if you really think about it, it makes sense is that you have to feed your livestock protein to produce protein. So to produce one pound of protein, like a one pound hamburger, you have to give that cow 10 pounds of protein. Like, so you lost nine pounds of protein somewhere along the way, right? For pork, it's for five pounds of, uh, for one pound of protein, you have to feed them five pounds. Chickens are a whole lot better. One pound of protein, you have to give them two and a half pounds, but crickets, one pound of protein, you have to feed them two pounds of protein. So it's still, you're still giving them a lot more food than you're getting out of it, but at least it's a whole lot less than 10 pounds of protein have to be fed to cattle to just get one pound out of them. Well, and when we're also talking space with crickets, you can have them in containers that are on shelves so they can go up vertical, right? You can't really do that with cows. No, (laughs) (laughs) might be a little hard. You have to build a lot of land bridges or something (laughs) for that to be possible (laughs) on top of each other. Um, and then water too, right? Water is a natural resource that we are not going to make more of ever. We're eventually going to run out. Well, to produce one pound of protein, it takes a thousand gallons for beef, wow. 600 for your pork, um, your pigs, your swine, I guess 150 gallons for chicken. So that's a whole lot better, but it only takes one gallon for crickets. So they're incredibly water efficient, um, form of livestock. So, I mean, it kind of makes sense. And then the funny one I always think is that, so methane gas, which is a, um, it's a greenhouse gas in large numbers and it's produced by cattle and other animals in their toots. And so crickets produce 80 times less methane gas than cattle do. So less, uh, they don't, they, they have less flatulence, I guess. Um, and it, and they contribute less to greenhouse gas. How did anybody figure out that a cricket farts? I have no idea. I mean, that just blows my mind. In my mind, they have their little bins and they have all the crickets in there and they have some filter paper on top that like collects the methane gas. I don't know. Yeah. Like some chemical probe or something in there. I mean, they got to excrete something, some, you know, waste in some form, right? Yeah. I mean, it totally makes sense, but you, when only if you like think really hard about it, that's not really something that you think about insects farting like (laughs) other animals. I don't know. So I've got some, um, history. I have a couple of history lessons too, um, about insects and how they, if you listen to our last podcast, Wizzy talked all about cochineal scales and how the world changed because of them, essentially, when it comes to the color red in textiles and all sorts of things and fabrics. And there's all these little tiny stories about about how insects at one time changed the world or how they've altered the the course of of our thoughts. So 
Um, when you think about eating insects, it's probably not something that you're, you know, rare in to go and do, but people that are proponents of entomophagy often will tell this story that it's really just, it's a cultural thing, right? It is changing our mindset in some way. And one really good example of how easy it is to change someone's mindset is that back, I have no idea when I'm going to assume the early 1900s, if not late 1800s, when individuals were incarcerated, they were fed lobster because that was a cheap and easy way to find food on the East coast. And those incarcerated individuals actually had contracts with their, you know, wardens or whoever, whatever they were called at that time that said, I don't want, um, uh, do not feed me lobster more than three times a week. Cause it was torture for them to eat this lobster. So it was considered a poor man's meal back in the day. And then somehow that, and maybe it was like they over fished the lobster. And so they became rare, but it changed to becoming this really, you know, major delicacy and very expensive meal. So that was a cultural change or just a shift in, in the way that we think of things. And the other thing that I think is wild is, um, have you ever heard of Lake bacon? No, (laughs) Lake bacon. I'm thinking like a hippopotamus or something. And you are correct. In the early 1900s, the U.S. was kind of going through this economic crisis. And in addition to that, they apparently there was a scarcity of meat. There was not a lot of meat and there was an ecological crisis going on. And so (laughs) Congress actually lawmakers thought, I know how to solve this. Let's go get hippos from Africa and put them in Louisiana in the bayous. And they're going to produce, I guess they produce a white meat. So they'll produce this white meat, I imagine, very similar to pig. But they'll also eat up the vegetation that was choking out the waterways. And so it's like a win-win, right? It's an environmental win-win. And so it actually went in front of Congress and it didn't, we, the reason why we do not eat hippo today in the United States was just one vote. It was one vote away from actually happening. Could you imagine? I am so disappointed. I, I just want to see a hippo in the Louisiana Bayou. It just, could you imagine it? Like (laughs) I I had this like jungle cruise thing in my head, you know, those hippos come out of the water. I mean, could you even imagine what that would have done to the landscape, oh like I, the havoc, I can imagine it would have caused, but I mean, somebody thought that was a great idea. Well, something else, if you think about like sushi, yeah. Uh, if you think about like what, like late seventies, early eighties, that was like, oh my God, it's raw fish. No, we're not eating that. That's going to kill us. And now it's like, oh, it's fantastic. And sushi is everywhere. And it's the best thing ever, you know, it's just, it's all about us kind of getting into that next square. You know, I always tell my husband about waffle squares and it's like, okay, you're in this square. You need to get over the hump and into the next square. And <laughs> it's, it's kind of like that, you know, we need to, in the United States, we need to get into the next square. And I think with the cricket farming that you're talking about, which segue here, uh, there was a piece done on them on Nova on PBS. That was fantastic. It was so good. Um, really? So look that up if you're interested in more and, but they're, it's a Spire industries and Akita. Yeah. And they have, um, they have the place here in Austin, but they're also doing one in, I want to say Toronto or someplace in Canada that they're building a new facility as well. And oh, it just, that's so cool, but we are, trying to 
I guess, ease people into the eating of insects <laughs> mm-hmm. by creating products that were used to eating by using insect-based protein, right? Yes. Right. Like I equate it to, you don't go out to a field and pick up a piece of wheat. I don't know what you call it, one strand of wheat, but you know, the plant stock, a stock of, we're, we're going to go with a stock. The thing you pull, you don't eat it and then go yummy. That was a great piece of bread. You take that and you grind it up and you take, you take the piece from it that you use to make wheat flour and you grind it up and you mash it all up. And you can certainly do the same thing with insects, right. And turn it into a base to put in other things. So they're making cricket flour out of these crickets. And from that, they're making what, uh, like chips, cookies and protein bars. And I'm trying to think of all the stuff that I've seen. Well, there's chirps chips. You guys may have heard of that. They were actually on shark tank. And I think it's a couple women who make different flavored chips and, and you can, um, I've been to Houston and I've seen them actually in vending machines, like at the natural history museum. So it's making its way, you know, into other things. And they've had, they had them in HEB stores at one point. I don't know if they still carry them. It may be, maybe in some, maybe not in others. I guess it depends on where you are. Yeah. I mean, after COVID probably no, not because they don't have as much variety anymore, but yeah. You, and you can buy them online. They have them on Amazon or directly through chirps chips. And they're really good. They're not too bad. They're just like, I, I kind of think that they're any, like a nacho cheese chip or mm-hmm. the ranch chip or what they're very similar. I mean, I will choose Doritos or Lay's over these any day, but it, it tastes like a multi-grain kind of a chip, like a health chip. Yeah. So if you like sun chips, yeah. you know, this, this would be a good way to get protein. They still have three flavors. I think they have cheddar, um, barbecue and sriracha and this, and I'm not a spice person, but that sriracha one is pretty good. Cause it's not super hot, but it's really has a lot of flavor to it. So there, if you, I mean, try them out. They're not, it's worth, it's worth trying, you know, instead of having popcorn while you watch your movie on Friday night, have, have a uh, chirps chips instead. And then you mentioned the um, protein bars. That's one. You can even just buy the powder or the flour. Um, You can buy either one. You can buy powder, which you have to cut with some real flour because it's just too earthy and it doesn't bake like flour does. Or you can buy the, the, the flour, the cricket flour, which already has the right ratio. So it's not real strong. I don't know what else way to, to describe it other than a very earthy, like, eating dirt kind of a flavor, you know, if you smelled a cricket, then you know what it is. (laughs) Mm, You're really selling this Molly. (laughs) You can use your flour and make like a high protein brownie or cookies or you could put in a protein shake, or, Mm -hmm. I mean, there, there are so many things that you can do. And the thing is, if you are somebody who has a gluten intolerance, this may be a way that you can get around that because It's not plant-based. <laughs> Absolutely. You can also just eat them whole roasted. A company called Exo makes them whole roasted in like barbecue. And my favorite is salt and vinegar. I think that one's pretty good. <gasps> Those are the ones I like too. <laughs> and there's no legs on. I mean, there are usually some legs at the bottom, but they do something after they roast them, they must shake them and the legs kind of fall off and you just eat them and they don't, I mean, they don't taste that different. And then you can get, 
I don't know if it's cricket powder, but you can find, well, chapulines, if you've heard of those, those are really grasshoppers and that's real common. And, um, in, in, uh, Central and South American cultures, they make worm salt or cricket salt. I, I don't know if they're salty and that's what makes it so salty. But if you, especially if you go to like resorts in Mexico, they'll, they'll rim your, um, you know, margarita glass with the worm salt or cricket salt, uh, all sorts of ways that you can eat insects. And there's, there's restaurants that offer them too, like, you know, as a kind of a appetizer or a delicacy or maybe not a delicacy, but like a unique thing to order. So it's making its way. I would say, I always tell people, or I tell kids when I do their camps, you guys might be eating insects when you go to restaurants. And if you're not, certainly your children will be. So there's, there maybe not our generation, maybe not the next generation, but the generation after that, I think are going to find Eat, sitting down and eating insects at their meal is going to be a norm for them. Although, you know, it's, it's our norm now. We just don't know it. Exactly. <laughs> it's our, if we we're, we're like an ostrich, we put our head in the sand and we don't think about it. <laughs> There's some cultures I, you know, I remember going to ESA years ago and they had a thing on entomophagy and it was essentially, they were talking about a lot of the cultures where it's kind of a timely thing for them to eat the insects because like, especially in, I don't know, Africa or something, if they have this huge swarm of locusts that come in and they eat all the crops, okay, well, we don't have that crop to eat anymore. So they go out, they collect the locusts that are there and they're eating that as their food source anyway. And so it may be, it's, they're needing to do this because the insect ate whatever food they are. But then there's also, you know, you see pictures of Asian markets or Asian yeah. supermarkets that have, you know, pickled or canned, yes. you know, insects of something. Or I know there's a lot of places that have those great big larvae that are, I think they feed on like palm or something. Yes. They're huge. And they have those, but if you think about it, I mean, we shrimp yeah. and, and prawns, and those are essentially the same thing. It's just, right. again, we, we need to get into the next square because that's exactly right. They're all arthropods. So why are we okay with shrimp and lobster and crab, but we're not okay with their very, very, very close cousins that, you know, you're, you're getting those out of the water. What were they eating in the water? Probably not anything you want to think about. Whereas if you can farm crickets, mealworms, or other insects, you know what they were eating. And so, you know, they're probably cleaner. Well, and that's the other thing I always tell people, especially when they find those giant ox scrub larvae, like, you know, you can feed on those things just like you do with shrimp. You know, you want to, obviously if they're in the ground or eating whatever nastiness, you know, stick them in some oatmeal and you can even flavor the oatmeal or whatever. And then you can get them to clean out their digestive tract with that cleaner material. And once you see that it's not dark in there anymore, then you can cook those up and peel them and eat them just like you can shrimp. Yeah. And yeah. they look at me like I'm absolutely insane. And it's just like, it's not any different. It's right. pretty much the same thing. You just happen to find it in your garden. Yeah. And you yeah. happen to know that it's an insect and not shrimp. See, we, we need to market it in a different way. Like, you know, do, um, I don't know, land shrimp or something. <laughs> Right. Start selling it like that. Like Lake Bacon, land shrimp. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we should definitely uh, put the caveat. We maybe should have said this in the very beginning that if you go out, you know, we're saying go eat insects and stuff. If you go out and you purchase something, you have to be really careful because 
if you have an allergy to shellfish, you very likely will have an allergy to eating insects as well. I think it's something in the protein of the exoskeleton that, that you generally have an allergy to on the shellfish. So, uh, don't, don't go out eating insects if you have that shellfish allergy. And then also we, we do recommend that you buy things or, you know, I guess grow them under certain conditions if you know what you're doing there. But I mean, we don't want you going out into some random field and collecting a bunch of insects because you don't know if people have been treating that with some sort of a pesticide or whatever. So, you know, stay safe and make sure that you know where you're sourcing your food from, regardless of whether it's insects or otherwise. (laughs) So what insects have you eaten or insect uh, materials? Um, well, I I've done mealworms Mm -hmm. of course, and I've done crickets and grasshoppers and I accidentally did a cockroach (laughs) when I was in college. (laughs) That was not on purpose. Uh, that one, the aspirator screen was gone, much to my dismay. Your bug sucker broke. (laughs) Have you eaten fire ants? I have not eaten fire ants, but I hear that they're spicy. Have you had them? Uh Uh-huh. The formic acid. It's not really spicy. It's almost tangy to me. So we've done like fire ant queso and it just, you know, looks like peppers in there and it has a, a different, um, it has a tangy type of a flavor to it. It's interesting. See, that's one of those. It's like, I don't know if I could because I'm allergic to fire ants. So I right. don't know what that would do if I ate them. My Probably tongue not a good might idea. swell up or something. <laughs> Your insides would turn into a big bubble. So what have you eaten? Well, I've had fire ants, mealworms. I like mealworms because you can roast them and they, they kind of taste like, uh, like croutons or something. Yeah. They're crunchy and nutty and yeah, they have a nut. They are, they're almost like almonds. They have a very nutty flavor and you can feed, we've done it where we fed them on uh, apples. So they kind of have a sweeter taste to them. Ooh, yum. I mean, it's kind of neat. You are what you eat and they tasted like apples, but we used to do an event and, and when COVID hit, that's when it kind of died. And I don't know that we'll ever get to go back to it, but we called it, it, it changed names. It was insecta fiesta. It was the bug dinner. And then it was another name. We did it three or four years. And we would have a a multi-course meal. We would often bring in a a guest chef and develop a meal, a a multi-course meal with insects included in all of the different things. So we did like, we always did fire ant queso because that was always a big hit. We did um, waxworm guacamole, which was gross because waxworms are nasty. And you would like, oh, they are very squishy. They are. And then you would bite down on the guacamole. It would pop in your mouth. And it was, that one was... (laughs) People ate it, but you know, they ate like one bite and then they were on to the next thing. Um, we would always do mealworms usually on top of, a, a like a, a microgreen salad that our horticulturalist would grow the greens for. So that would be like the crouton we did. We would always do crickets and things. Um, we would get, do like, make like granola crickets and, and scoop out an apple and put it in the apple. Oh, yum. And then one time I went to ESA to our entomological society of America meeting, and it was in dinner. Denver, and they had a big symposium on entomophagy. And so the guy that was running that symposium worked out a deal with a restaurant and a chef to make appetizer type things. So we, we paid and we got all these little appetizers. I ate, Ugh, it was, it, I don't know that I could do it again. It was a scorpion and it was a big scorpion and, and it was the whole scorpion. So you held it by its oh. tail and you bit it and, and it didn't taste bad, but just the, the crunchiness and like the, 
you know, chewing on its legs and its pinchers was a little bit more than I really wanted to deal with. Um, I prefer things to be a little more ground up or not so much of a whole thing. Like, I mean, you literally would pick it. It was, oh, that's what it was. It was um, deep fried, but you picked it up by its tail and then you ate it. Oh, okay. You know, I've seen pictures of like tarantulas on skewers and I'm like, how does that work with their hairs on their body? And you just think that that would kind of coat the inside of your mouth and be like, maybe they boil them first or something and the hairs fall off like in other, I don't know. I just, some of them I'm like, what a waste of a tarantula, you know, like, and that scorpion. Yeah. How old was that? And then you <laughs> killed it and we're all just chomping on it and spitting half of it out in our napkin, the crickets, the mealworms, those don't bug me. Cause they're a dime a dozen. You can grow a thousand more of them tomorrow, you know? Well, yeah. And it's faster process yes. than, you know, tarantulas can live anywhere from like what, five to 20 years or even some of them, even more than that. Maybe all this stuff is grossing you out and eating insects. You're like, I'll never do it. Absolutely not. But you know what? What if we um, used insects in feed for the livestock, for your chickens, or even for your pets? I think that the FDA is work. I don't know if it's FDA that covers that, but somebody is working on approving the use of, of ground up insects in dog food. So, I mean, maybe we can still use entomophagy and, and reduce the need for, you know, the, the, the heavy overload of using this other livestock with our pets. And, you know, do we really care what our dogs and our cats eat? I mean, my dog eats cat food all day long, so not cat food. Well, <laughs> cat food, if it gets left down, but cat poop, he really likes his cat poop. So if he eats bugs, I mean, that's way better than the cat poop. Well, I have a dog that like tries to catch every single fly he sees anyway and eats it. So <laughs> you know, I think it's all going to work out. That's right. (laughs) We're not so worried about what our pets eat as much as we are about what we put in our mouth, I guess. So there's alternative ways to practice entomophagy without actually doing it to yourself directly. Yes. But you're always doing passive entomophagy. So enjoy it. I mean, you have a, you kind of have a story about that. Like if you go to a restaurant, cause you're allergic to cockroaches, right? Yes. You usually have a reaction, but yes. sometimes you'll go to a restaurant and you'll be fine. And then you'll have another visit and you'll have breakout in hives and yeah, it's because there was a cockroach in the food or yeah. something. It's yeah. And there it's, it's hit or miss. I mean, I, you never know when it's going to hit and where it's going to hit. And it's just one of those carry the EpiPen and yeah, see what happens. <laughs> I mean, because I'm not going to stop completely eating food. I, that's just right. not going to be possible, but you know, yeah, it's, it's just something that happens. I did. I remember in college, I was eating a box of raisins as a snack. And when I got to the bottom part of the box, I looked down, you know, cause I was doing the mindless eating, just kind of eating. And I looked down and I see all these little larvae crawling around on the raisins. <laughs> So I was like, oh no. Oh, okay. Oopsie. <laughs> Ugh, like maggots? Uh, yeah. Like fly larvae, you think? No, I don't think it was fly larvae because they were more straight instead of the carrot shaped for fly larvae. Uh-huh. So it had to have been some like sort of caterpillar. I'm assuming, you know, something was on the grapes and yeah, who knows? <laughs> but, you know, I had already eaten, I think there were like three raisins left in the box. <laughs> so, Might as well finish it off. Like, uh, <laughs> what's done is done. <laughs> well, it's like the, the old joke. What's, what's worse than finding a worm in your apple, finding half a worm in your apple. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> 
And on that note. (laughs) And on that note, as you're planning your dinners for this week, think about maybe going online and buying yourself some chapulines or some cricket flour. I don't know. Just, I mean, try it out. It's kind of a novelty, kind of a cool thing. Um, You know, see if you like it. And then you can say, I've eaten insects before. But certainly I think in the next 10, 15, 20 years, maybe more than that, we're going to start seeing more insects on the menu. It's going to be more of a norm. And you heard it from us first. Insects are what's for dinner. (laughs) Well, thanks for joining us again this week on Bugs by the Yard. And we'll catch you next time.